0: Hello, I'm Jason and I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon. You should do the same because the world just needs more GXG to make it a better place. Just go to GenXGrownUp.com Patreon to donate to the cause.
1: Welcome back, Gen X Grown-Up Podcast listeners to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown-Up Podcast. I am John, joining me as always is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? And of course, Mo is here. Hey, everybody. You know, four decades ago, Jake Blues was released from Joliet prison and he and his brother Elwood embarked on a mission from God. (laughs) <laughs> Their adventure became one of the most successful and beloved Gen X era musical comedies. So, in this episode, we are looking back at the Blues Brothers. Woo-hoo. Initially released 1980, it was yep. June 20th. So, that's what spurred us to kind of why we didn't do the 40th anniversary, I don't know. It's the 41st anniversary. Makes a special. We're, we're making it up for lost time. Yeah, I guess. COVID. So. Yeah. Everybody did a 40th anniversary. <laughs> it was anniversary. COVID. You could blame everything on COVID. I love yeah, it. Yeah, we'll Thank blame you. it on COVID. Yeah, good. And so, we have lots to talk about the Blues Brothers is going to be this entire background track episode before we get into that though it's time for some fourth listener email and our fourth listener this episode is karen oh karen subject line of karen's email is christmas is for kids oh god (laughs) (laughs) this thing keeps coming back over and over (laughs) mo was kind of okay george enjoyed shitting on that lovely christmas album that i shared with you guys (laughs) (laughs) but and I think there are people on both sides of the tracks a lot of people didn't care for it but Karen wrote in and said today I was listening to some more of the back episodes of the Gen X grown-up podcast and I got to an episode from December of 2019 about your Christmas it's for kids album yep mm-hmm. as you were talking about the record something reminded me of an episode of the after lunch podcast from December of 2020 where one of the hosts used that album to base and create a rank and bass style special featuring Morris the moose and
2: roly-poly the polar bear uh-huh. uh, okay I, I don't know I I don't know what that means. Those are words. I don't either. I know they're in a (laughs) sentence form, but I have (laughs) no idea. Well, you know who Rolly Pully the
1: polar bear is. We heard that song and you made fun of it. Morris the moose, so you didn't care for
0: uh Morris the Moose. Oh, he went right. to be a reindeer, right?
1: Yeah, he did. He exactly. See, Mo knows, he got it. <laughs> I, I've expunged that whole thing from my brain. <laughs> you purged it. It's like you can't do it. Yep. Uh she says, like you, Rob said he had never met anyone else who had heard of that record. Yeah, I, I never encounter anybody until now, apparently. I've got to go listen to this episode.
2: Well, now Karen is the bridge. She can just introduce the two of you.
1: I like it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it was kind of weird to be bouncing
1: around to Christmas music two weeks before Easter, but I will definitely be adding Christmases for kids to my holiday listening later this year. Forever (laughs) fourth listener, Karen. Okay, cool. Thanks for writing in. That's all we did for that episode was go through that album, I recall. Every Every single song. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, (laughs) all the special songs. There was like, you know, Silent Night and uh, Jingle Bells. We listened to those. Oh, the common ones. Yeah, it was the special ones that you talked about.
1: We listened to the good ones. You you need a one too.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We listened to the good ones. (laughs) Shut the hell up. George is like, it was all relative. <laughs> I stand by my statement. For that album, those were the best ones. <laughs> for that album. <laughs> Amongst idiots, you're a genius is what you're saying,
1: right? <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, hey, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Karen. And I'm going have to have to look up this episode because I, again, I had never heard of anyone else who had known of this album unless they heard about it from me. So I'm going to dig in a little deeper and see what they were doing over on the After Lunch podcast. Hey, thank you so much for writing in. If you would like your, Your email featured here on the show. It's really easy. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. We read every single one and most of them, like Karen's, make the show. Well, it's 106 miles to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and all three of us have microphones. So let's hit it. (laughs) You'd better get bright, pal. We got a show to do. Then we got to figure out some way to collect that gate money, Get it to the Cook County Assessor's office as soon as they open in the morning.
2: Joliet, Jake, and Elwood Blues. Two men with a mission, and only eleven days.
1: Don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show too. It helps more than you know. As mentioned at the top of the show, we are dedicating this backtrack to the Blues Brothers, the 1980 film that starred Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. And the reason we picked it, as I said, 41st anniversary, it it came out June 6th. But the Blues Brothers didn't start as a film. Like Mm -mm. so many things, many of them, not as successful as the Blues Brothers, started as a a sketch,
0: well, kind of a sketch on Saturday Night Live. They actually created a mythical band, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember reading about it where Lauren Michaels didn't really care for it, he allowed them to play for the crowd before the show opened, mm. just as like a warm-up thing. <laughs> yep. But eventually, though, they were like the musical guest one time.
1: They were, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, they were the musical guest on the same episode where Carrie Fisher hosted. So that's oh, how really? they first kind of started <laughs> crossing paths. And when they showed up as the Blues Brothers, they literally did not bill themselves as – Aykroyd and Belushi. They were Jake and Elwood Blues. It's like almost like a A persona. Yeah. They they try to manifest like an
2: Andy Kaufman kind of thing. Exactly. That's what I was
1: trying to think of. They tried to not they weren't insane like Andy Kaufman, but they were literally (laughs) trying to manifest those characters when they were there as if they weren't the actor celebrities Mm -hmm. that you already knew. And they were decent musicians in their own right. But it wasn't so much because of them. They had that star power, but they brought together real musicians that we'll talk about later that ended up in the film that were already established soul, rhythm, and blues musicians. And they actually put out an album called Briefcase Full of Blues and even opened for the Grateful Dead on tour for a while. Like, they were legit trying to make a band of this.
2: (laughs) I mean, that's an interesting pairing, the rhythm and blues with Grateful Dead. I mean does not seem to quite go together, but they must have had some kind of connection with them. You're right. And I'm
1: sure it wasn't just because it was rhythm and blues. It was because, oh, we can get Aykroyd and Belushi to open for the Grateful Dead. Yeah. And so sure for everyone else, it. it was seeing these celebrities. For them, they were legitimately trying to be a blues band. And I think mm-hmm. in many ways they succeeded. Now, they're not great vocalists. They're not the most amazing singers or performers you've ever seen. It was like, well, Dwayne Johnson's going to come and be a clown at your birthday party. You don't want to see the clown. You want to see the celebrity who happens to be playing the clown. I,
0: I would pay to see that personally. Just Dwayne Johnson as a clown at the kid's birthday party. You can have The
1: Rock at a clown at your birthday party. We could do mean, that. It'd for be you, entertaining
0: man. if nothing else. I'm sure we work it out. <laughs> <laughs> so that Dan Aykroyd was like a huge blues fan. He was a massive blues fan and he mm-hmm. got still John is. Belushi yep. into it.
2: I imagine he still is. He's not dead. That's true. <laughs> he <laughs> still okay. is.
0: But John Belushi was a bad <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ooh,
0: that's too soon.
2: Too soon.
0: <laughs> too soon. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> 30 years, man. It is. It's way too soon. Yeah.
1: Since coming out in 1980, it was, for the year, the 10th highest grossing film of the year. 57 million domestic and another 58 million foreign. It's a good thing they made that much money because they had a lot of <laughs> odd line items in their budget. We'll talk about in a bit. Ooh, but yeah. it was a yeah banger. Well, yeah,
2: but, you know, you're touting that like it's a good thing. Tenth highest grossing of what, out of 12? I mean, that's... That doesn't show like a significant, you know, huge impact. Ten- of 1980? Eh. Have you seen a list of films from 1980? There's a lot of Apparently, good films. Apparently this there. one's tenth on the list, though. So it is. That's
1: right. That's how you know it's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe this is a good time to point out that Mo and I are huge fans of this film. Hmm. George had never seen it in its entirety prior to preparing for this show. Yeah, right? like
2: we talked about in the last podcast. I had That's never right. seen it in its entirety. I'd seen Clips here and there. I had seen the Aretha Franklin singing in her diner clip, and I had seen a couple of other ones here, you know, the different little musical numbers, but I never watched it all the way through. So, in preparing for this podcast, because I want to be true to the listeners and put in my work and do my homework and all. And so I watched and, um, the copy that I watched was, I guess the extended version. You said, John, it was two it hours is, yeah. and 23 minutes, almost two and a half. Uh, it yeah, was, long. it was not small. And, um, I don't know if we should say this now or if we should say it later, but I, I'll go ahead and say it now. <laughs> go ahead. I didn't like it. I didn't like this movie. <laughs> uh, that is a
1: blanket statement. That, I'm going to challenge you on several points because I'm not sure if you hated the entire
2: film or if you hated all parts of it. Or I didn't say hated. I said I didn't okay. like it. Didn't like it. Okay. Hated is a whole different genre that I would reserve for. Other things, this, you wouldn't put this in the hated category. At no, least. no, no. This is okay. It, care for like, it. All right. As we'll talk about, di- you know, different actors and different quotes and different scenes stuff. There were parts that were cute. There were parts that were moderately funny. Maybe I went into it with the wrong mindset that it was going to be a comedy because it's Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be a great comedy film. This was not a pure comedy. It was a musical comedy. True, as yep. you pointed out, it's musical yes. comedy. Yep. But a musical comedy. Uh, Maybe because I watched this extended version. It was too long. I don't know. Maybe that didn't help you. There were way too many points without either music or comedy that were too long in between those. So... (sighs) I
1: just rewatched the same one that you rewatched. Me too. And I was thinking to myself toward the end, there is not a wasted scene in this film. I like oh, everything there that happens in this movie. Tons of wasted scenes in
2: this no, film. No, there's not. There are a whole it's, bunch it's of from them. from beginning to end. I know I'm not going to win the argument because you two are already against me, <laughs> Teaming up on you. there <laughs> are tons of wasted scenes in this film. The first seven yeah. minutes of this movie is a complete waste. It was just all these, you had said when we were offline before, you know, if they'd had drones, these would be drone shots, but just these- yeah. Fly like helicopter overfly over establishing yeah. shots for seven minutes. The same thing that people give shit to on Star Trek the Motion Picture, which was about mm-hmm. three and a half minutes, so half the length of Okay, this Star one. Trek the Motion
0: Picture was just credits flying by. <laughs> which was really
2: stupid. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> at least it had credits to George's point. This was just shots of the plate of Chicago. It was shots of them. And yeah. that's 7 minutes before they even show, you know, the Blues Brothers and get into the stuff. It's just mm-hmm. you know, it's weird okay. like let's put a camera underneath John Belushi's crotch as He's walking through <laughs> the prison tears <laughs> as he's getting released. Those are, those are creative angles. That's what It was like Landis <laughs> was trying to find an art nouveau style for the film at that point and it it just wasn't working i thought we're great (laughs) many parts
1: of the film are kind of music video almost before music videos were a thing it was kind of Mm -hmm. let's walk in step let's kind of weird angles and shots well you mentioned john landis the film was actually written by john landis and dan Aykroyd Mm -hmm. collaboratively now you probably heard of dan Aykroyd's ghostbusters script that looked like a phone book right and he is a prolific writer when he gets something and it was his his vision for this, the original script was originally titled Return of the Blues Brothers. It was 324 pages, mm. and it was going to be a two-parter. Which they say, that's
0: like three times as long as like a normal <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
2: The standard is that each page of a script is supposed to be one minute of film. A minute. That's right, right? Yeah. So, yep. 328 minutes of a film. I damn near got that many minutes in this extended version. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, <laughs> it could have been a two-parter, but I think the way they pared it down and told the story, they told a cohesive
1: story that started with getting out of prison and Mm -hmm. ended going back to prison, Prison. right? So (laughs) Full circle. And it's almost as if these characters, they have nothing in their lives other than the band. Mm -hmm. He came out of prison. He'd gone in because he'd robbed a liquor store to pay the band. He came out and immediately started getting the
2: band back together. They got in shenanigans, played in the band, went right back to prison. I I get that. And you're right. It did tell a cohesive story. There was definitely a beginning. There was definitely a middle. And there was absolutely an end. Um, But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) What I didn't understand about the ending, you know, you already talked about. It. I guess there's no spoilers. Forty one years old, but I, yeah, spoilers <laughs> are yeah. we know, we're, we're good spoilers. past Why that. Why did You're the okay. band have to go back to prison? They didn't do shit wrong. <laughs> Accessories. I get the two blues brothers. They, one of them had parking <laughs> tickets out the yin yang and was wanted for all kinds of shit. The other one was breaking parole because he was traveling and not checking in and all that. Why the hell did they? They didn't do anything. Who else would back up the blues
1: brothers to play in Jailhouse Rock? You had to have him in prison. Yeah. Exactly, maybe they were visiting. <laughs> No, they shouldn't not have gone back to prison, prison. prison yeah, they, they weren't visiting I guess not It's <laughs> part of the
0: uniform new band uniform they're doing
2: <laughs> new band uniform you know I never really thought about sheets. that but you're right but, you know
0: I mean honestly if you're gonna look for problems that deep this wasn't a movie for you <laughs> <laughs> it's not about looking fire for problems water. You know, <laughs> he makes a valid point
1: I, I never thought about why was the band in prison they they were in trouble but there's no reason they should have had to go to prison and have the sort of same sentence right so they didn't perform violent acts or resist a Or any of those
2: things. They just played music and drove around. That was it. Yeah. And impersonated the good old boys. That's the only thing they're guilty of. Impersonating the good old boys. Maybe that's a prison sentence. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on the state. We got both kinds, country and And western. Western. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked
1: for several minutes about this. If you haven't watched the Blues Brothers, at least we should start with a synopsis if you're like George and have missed out on. I'm guessing if you listen this far, you have. In the Blues Brothers, Jake Blues is released from prison and he's picked up by his brother Elwood in the Blues Mobile. The pair visit the Roman Catholic orphanage where they were raised and they learn it will be closed unless $5,000 in property taxes is paid. Jake has an epiphany that they can reform the band, the Blues Brothers, which disbanded while Jake was in prison and
0: raised the money to save the Orbs. And they only have like a few days too, right? They don't have a lot they have of just a few.
1: They have just a few days to 11 get days. Yep. yep,
0: just 11 days. I remember reading about, with Saturday Night Live, I don't know if you heard like the early days of Saturday Night Live, drugs were like rampant on the yeah. set. You mm-hmm. know, they all talk about, I mean, every single biography everyone writes about those days, talks about drugs and all stuff. And it seemed to have spilled over into this movie <laughs> because apparently they had a cocaine budget pretty much. They did, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, to keep people awake during night shoots, they did. Yeah. I read a little rumor that uh, often John Belushi would walk around in Chicago when they weren't shooting and people recognized him and loved him and knew he loved cocaine, and people were handing him, slipping him cocaine. In addition to the cocaine, the film was providing yeah. him. <laughs> Plus, they were giving himself, him sure. extra <laughs> drugs, right? Which didn't help, I'm sure. But uh, it was it was a film that could only have happened at the time that it happened. I think because Saturday Night Live was really at its peak. Those characters had a springboard because they came out of Saturday Night, oh, just Night Live. Just those
0: names, you know, just those and those
1: Belushi people, and Aykroyd yeah. just put those two together, and the two characters, the way they embody the characters, and have that on screen chemistry we've talked about pairs. Like we talked about uh, uh stir crazy, right? Where you have a pair of character, a pair of actors who have so much chemistry on screen that just, they're a force of nature. They just move, the, move the film together. Right.
0: They carry the film basically on their own, just if they had to. Right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I saw another little interesting. Thing that's funny that the Pope apparently visited the set of the blues brothers while they were filming. <laughs> Cause he was <laughs> in Chicago during his world tour. And, um, Apparently, he liked it. He liked the storyline, and he, it's actually in 2010. The Vatican's official newspaper placed the Blues Brothers on his list of recommended movies for Catholics. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Just, guessing Dogma didn't
2: make that list. Yeah, no, we'll no, I would say not. Based on what, do you think? <laughs> because they were saving a Catholic orphanage, yeah, I guess. saving right? a Catholic orphanage. But saving the orphanage at any cost, saving the orphanage, is, was worthwhile. The nun was, was representing the Catholic sense? ideals by beating a shit out of them with the ruler, <laughs> right? (laughs) So she was being true to the faith, I guess.
0: Oh,
1: my goodness. One of the little nugget that I found was so toward the end, you know, you have the uh, you have the Illinois Nazis that are chasing the Blues Brothers in that little (laughs) Pinto. I hate Illinois (laughs) Nazis. I I hate Illinois (laughs) Illinois Nazis. Nazis. They actually that wasn't an effect that a real Pinto
0: station wagon. Yeah. Was dropped inside of the city limits. They got permission a to do that. I mean, that's the thing that got me is that this is the '80s. They did not have CGI. They did not have no, all no. these animation effects. All these things they actually had to do. Even the beginning actually blew things up
1: and smashed things.
0: Yeah, yeah. like when Belushi falls on the stairs. A stuntman had to fall down the yeah, stairs. and to literally fall down the stairs.
1: Thing. I mean, it's crazy. Think about yeah. it. They had to go to the FAA mm-hmm. and get a an unairworthiness certificate for that Pinto to verify
2: that it would. That <laughs> <laughs> that it, I know. <laughs> the Pinto's unairworthy. It's not able to fly. Really? Yes. <laughs> it's barely able to drive. It's a damn it wouldn't drift off
1: course and go in another neighborhood yes, or you something. They wanted to be sure it
0: fell straight down, basically. Yeah, <laughs> make sure it would fall
1: <laughs> straight down. Wow.
0: What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on on PressBox Access.
1: we got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark and we're wearing sunglasses they
0: want five thousand dollars guess you're really up shit creek are you the police
1: no ma'am we're musicians you're listening to gen x grown up but if you have a friend who's not
0: yet listening why not tell them about us they'll thank you later We have to talk about the talent that's in this movie. It's just crazy the number of people that had cameos and stuff. We want to stay away from the musical talent because that's a whole different section in this podcast. Music plays such a huge part of this film. The music is its its own thing. So I'm just going to talk about the non-musical folk who just had these small roles. But these are like people that everybody has heard of who maybe at the time people didn't know. Now, you know, we know who they are. It's Mm -hmm. just Phenomenal. I mean, it was almost like they just asked random people, hey, you want to do five minutes of this movie? They said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Even Steven Spielberg had a role in this movie. They did. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I I didn't realize it initially. Yeah. Yeah, I still
2: like I watch this movie knowing because I looked at the list that you guys put here in mm -hmm. Trello and I'm like, oh, I I need to pay attention to when I see Steven Spielberg. I didn't recognize him at all. He looks well. He was so young. So young. I had no (laughs) idea. You know, you talked um, a little bit earlier, John Landis directed. This film, but he was yeah. also Trooper LaFong. I was looking for Trooper LaFong the whole damn time. Couldn't figure out who the hell he was, <laughs> what scene he was in. I'm like, man, the only one I kind of really recognized was Frank Oz. Frank Oz oh, is yeah. iconic to me because spies like us, he's got that mm-hmm. the test mm-hmm. giver in that movie, and he does some great work when he's on camera. He's rarely on camera because he's almost always just a voice of mm-hmm. Yoda or whoever, <laughs> or something like that. But. Well, but as a voice,
1: as soon as you hear him as the what, mm-hmm. or at least like the property yeah. the, the guy give him back the property to jake right and you hear that voice that it's so muppet like you hear that it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of yoda ish kind of miss piggy ish and you hear him and you're like wow that voice just resonates and you're
0: like is that oh my god it's frank
2: Oz. Yeah. i think he had my favorite Uh-oh. non-verbal comedy moment in the movie oh yeah i know what you're talking about go ahead <laughs> no i'm not i'm not talking about the used condom oh. no oh, no I I okay. there's this one where he's like he goes through all the lists and everything he pulls out all the stuff he used condom the you know blah blah blah. the pants the jacket the suit the whatever mm-hmm. and then he gets done and he's like sign here and he's just so like fuck you i hate that i have to do this every day and he <laughs> opens up his arms and jake has to lean over yeah. because he can't go past <laughs> the yellow line so he's and he's barely like they had to have measured his torso to get that yellow line where right he's <laughs> he barely could reach that and you can tell Frank Oz's character he's not extending that clipboard at all it's just like here Yeah, nope. I'm gonna make you reach for it here right and yeah <laughs> he, it's just the whole way Frank Oz delivers that character of like I really couldn't give two shits about this job or I you or. Here.
0: <laughs> yeah he definitely conveyed that really well I really enjoyed that part I like that Carrie Fisher was in it too this is the same year that Empire Strikes Back came out too don't forget so mm-hmm. yeah just a few <laughs> right. months after Empire actually yeah. that's right Right. Yep. And so and see they never gave her a name. <laughs>
1: you were mentioning before we started recording, George, that you weren't so keen on the Carrie Fisher storyline.
2: I so I love Carrie Fisher. <laughs> she's a brilliant actress. She's done well with everything she's done. I just didn't get why why they deadpanned her character line the entire way through until the very last segment that she's in? And granted, it's a two and a half hour long film, and she starts off pretty early on, like in the first mm-hmm. twenty minutes, is where mm-hmm. her character yeah. comes in. But it's, she's just this random crazy chick following them around. I don't know how she figured out that he got out of prison. Don't know how she figured out where they were there. Uh, she just drives up, points a bazooka at him, which fires these <laughs> very small, weird missiles. <laughs> They yeah. don't really do anything. I guess that was a budget issue because cocaine was taking up the rest of the money. I'm not sure. It was. Maybe so. <laughs> She didn't have the impact that a Carrie Fisher should have had for me. Hmm. It, it felt like she was just like an aside. And it's Carrie Fisher for crying out loud. If you're going to put her in the movie that much and give her a role, give her a little bit more meat on the bone.
1: It was not a lot of airtime, but it was an impactful part of the story. It was another adversary that was after them, not just the authorities. I, I can see yeah. That.
0: I enjoyed that part of the movie because it's like this random thing that happens just throughout the movie. You have no idea what's going on. Dan Aykroyd finally is the one at the end. He says, who the hell is this person? <laughs> he has no idea who it is. And well, then you find out there's a whole she's t- shooting at him. Yeah, please tell me like, who is this person and why is she trying to kill and you? And how does
2: Dan Aykroyd not know who she is?
0: Uh, apparently he must in- have been engaged and never told his brother. I guess they're yeah.
2: brothers that are super close so much that they wear the same fucking suits he was wearing that suit when he went into prison. You would uh, think you would have uh, known about the wedding uh, George is poking the holes Into my favorite movie Stop. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Stop pointing out obvious flaws that I've missed for years Quit yes. it. <laughs> Yo, know somebody had to ask a question so hey why not him <laughs> <laughs> why not let the jerk do
1: it there you go <laughs> uh steven williams played uh trooper mount who's steven williams he's a huge character actor but in this yeah. he played the lead sheriff's officer he was one of the first ones that pulled them over at the beginning and
2: oh oh he was okay. in x-files
1: right yes 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 okay. in the x-files that's yeah, right now i know who you're talking about yeah, yeah that's where you've seen him and that's where you find out about the squads like all these yeah. little throwaways that th- this is a great example i love Smods. and Scamod. so before I talk about squads we were talking before george that you said what's the big deal with orange whip orange whip three orange whips Mm -hmm. you said that's not a memorable quote i think probably SCMODs falls in that category for me yeah because they have the computer in the car oh they probably got SCMODS. squads state county municipal offender database system it's not memorable but probably because i've watched the film so many times there are these little moments that grab me and this was one of them that if ever I see somebody pulled over, if ever somebody says they pulled over, is that they got I got a ticket or whatever, and I'll ask them, oh, do they have skmods?" And if they get that joke, I
0: know they love the Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing I found out that, you know, I guess in today's, Dollars. They didn't get paid a whole lot, actually. Relatively speaking, uh, I think Belushi, they said that he earned like half a million and Aykroyd were, were earned like a quarter million. About a quarter million. Yeah. I assume that Aykroyd got some additional money for writing separately or something. In cocaine.
2: but cocaine. <laughs> was that half a million and quarter million in 1980 dollars or is that? Uh, that was in 1980. So I don't know what that translates to today. Well, that's got to be pretty decent. I mean, considering that the film was based off of an SNL skit and SNL skits weren't known at the time for producing popular True. movies i mean that's probably mm-hmm. got to be what in adjusted for that's 41 years uh, i don't know it's got to be like several million dollars at least a couple million yeah maybe yeah okay that's yeah, true and maybe in today's dollars probably do the math and figure it out gotta but it's got to be one of the not the first film but one of their early films before they were really tried and proven as box office draws i mean oh well i mean just there were only a couple of years
0: in saturday Night live uh you know from creating the character so it was, it was definitely early had
2: belushi done animal house yet
0: Yes he did. But Animal House came out in 78 I think so we right and so right.
2: yeah so, yeah, I think that's decent salaries. Well, that's why he, got, that's why he earned double. <laughs> yeah, so.
0: that's true, baby. My favorite cameo, though, in this was Paul Rubens. Pee-wee Herman. At the time, I had no idea who the guy was. Nobody knew who he was. Sure. I think it was his first credited film role ever. Oh, wow. And then from there, he went to become Pee-wee Herman. And of course, yeah, we know what happened after that. <laughs> it was very much a bit part. He just showed up as a waiter. Yeah. And serving champagne, was it? And one of the things I thought was funny is that that restaurant they were in, when they were serving champagne, it's the same restaurant that was used for Ferris Bueller's Day, Day Off. Day off.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I was like,
0: wow. Yeah, a little secret city there. But that whole scene to me was hilarious. How much for the little girls? I want to buy your women for the little girl.
1: <laughs> 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 I mentioned John Candy's line. John Candy, of course, plays the sheriff in this. But yeah, he, such a small part, you barely see him. They didn't use John Candy. They might have used him less here than he was used in Vacation, where he was just a security guard oh, at the Wally Right,
2: road. yeah. Do you think that that's because they were purposefully trying to get John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd over, so to speak? Because John Candy, comedy genius, the man could almost do no wrong when it comes to acting and TV. I mean, he was great with his roles, but could it be that they were maybe trying to make sure that John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd had the better lines?
0: Uh, I don't you know. know. I mean, I just think Maybe. the role itself was just a smaller role. I don't know. It just seemed like it's just, I don't know. I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't know if it was intentional or just because every role except for those two guys was pretty much a smaller role. We <laughs>
1: know how I always thought about it, George, in that you had these two that were the headliners, clearly. But so many of the people in the film are people that they know through show business, friends of theirs. I always got the feeling that was like, hey, we're making this big movie. We've got this budget. You want to come and work for a couple of days? It was almost like they were bringing in their friends that they knew that they met through SNL and giving them small parts. I don't know if it's so much a conscious decision to give them small parts mm. versus a, hey, would you like a couple days work for you know 30 grand
0: or whatever you're gonna get? Right. As, as a favor to buddy. John Candy, right? In your hometown, even right? Because John Candy's
2: from Chicago too. Right. So right.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Good point. I didn't thought. Well, because
2: I kind of think of it like it's the antithesis of what Bill Murray did with Caddyshack, right? They brought him on just for a quick little spot and it turned into this whole big character because of what he did ad libbed on set. Mm-hmm. John Candy didn't, yep. that didn't seem to happen here. So So I was just curious if it was intentionally done to keep him pared down. Even so, the parts that he's on screen, I liked because he was a
1: foil to all of the other law enforcement officers. Everybody else was so gung-ho. He had their shotguns, and, the, and he was kind of, let's hear the guys sing. <laughs> oh, well, we got time. Anybody want an yeah. orange whip? You know, he's so kind of laid back compared to all of them, but he's the boss, so people have to take it, which I, I think is clever with that. <laughs> the biggest, maybe two characters that I want to talk about that are in the film that aren't characters at all. The first is the Bluesmobile itself, <laughs> <laughs> it's an iconic film vehicle. The fact that it's an old police car, the fact that he goes through it's got cop shocks, no catalytic converter, all that. But he picks him up in a police car and there's this line: what happened to the caddy? Is like you yeah. just sold it? No, I traded it for a mite. Well, I can see that. Shows <laughs> <laughs> how focused they are on the music. <laughs> I think the car is an <laughs> iconic part. And the other one, probably the biggest one that doesn't get enough fanfare is the city of Chicago itself. Oh, yeah. Aykroyd himself said he wrote this film as a love letter to Chicago. And even though he pokes fun at the establishment, and pokes fun at law enforcement, they wrecked at the time a record 103 vehicles wrecked That's in this film. Awesome. It, was, it was a record at the time. That was crazy. And not CG cars. Real cars. Real cars that they smashed everywhere. Every time they had a chance. Let's wreck five more. Just keep doing it. But Chicago is the permission to film downtown. You yeah. know that scene where they're driving the chase under the elevated, the L? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not sped up film. They actually drove the car 118 miles an hour under the
0: elevated train line of Chicago. Wow. Yeah. And Chicago gave him permission to do it. Yeah. Did you hear that they actually filmed it twice? Because the first time when they did it, Landis was concerned that people would think that he just sped up the film. Because there weren't any
1: pedestrians. Pedestrians. are yeah.
0: <laughs> so walking around, so you see yeah. that they're actually going that fast. <laughs>
1: yeah. Ultimately, Ackroyd donated 50 grand to charity, to yeah. uh, Chicago charities, in exchange for all the, the shooting rights that he got, because they shot so much on site there in
0: you need to realize greater success get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers accelerate your business growth is part of the evergreen podcast network and is available on apple spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts
1: don't you guys ever wear blue jeans or jumpsuits like like wayne cochran or cc Riders? we're on a mission from god
0: To sing it, sweetheart. It's a pig.
1: Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear
2: over at GenXGrownUp.com. Okay, so given everything that I've said previous to this segment, this is gonna be quite a shock. <laughs> The part that I really loved about the movie was the music. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The part that that wrecked the comedy and made it a musical comedy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so like I said, I probably went into it with the wrong mindset. I was thinking pure comedies. John Belushi, Stan Aykroyd, SNL skit. I wasn't really thinking that it was going to be a musical. Now, there Mm. were long segments of non-musical, just plain stuff in the film. And maybe that's what kind of threw me off a little bit. But boy, when they hit a musical number, holy. Hell did they get yeah. a musical number? Yeah, and they just people out of nowhere. We really should start with one of the very first ones, James Brown, the Reverend Cleophas James. Yes. <laughs> when I woke up this morning, do you see the light. I heard a disturbing sound. You're right, where Jake, you know, gets his epiphany, like you said, yeah. with yeah. the light coming through. And do you see the light? I see the light. <laughs> I you know, see the path. Jesus <laughs> H. Tap dancing. Christ, I see the light. <laughs> And the people it. just getting up out of the pews and running and dodging. And yeah, uh, that's a church I would love to attend. I, I like that style of church where it's all kinds of crazy, just music and mm-hmm. fire and brimstone type of preacher who's screaming to the rafters. That's my kind of church. And boy, let me tell you, that was a hell of a scene. And it really set off all the fun musical notes mm-hmm. and. Mm.
0: scenes from that point forward. It's great fun. All the musical scenes, that's one thing I, I, you bring up that I didn't think about. They were all fun. Like, all the mm-hmm, musical mm-hmm. scenes were just fun. Oh yeah. We're just
1: fun. And they're woven into the story. They weren't just yeah. they weren't just, hey, we have this celebrity. Let's let's make them an integral part of the story,
0: which I yeah. loved. And I like how like Shaka Khan was in the choir. Right. Yep. She hits a couple of high notes, but that's pretty much it. But she were awesome high notes that she hit, though, let me tell you. Yeah, uh, it's Shaka Khan. <laughs> that's
1: all you gotta say. It's Shaka <laughs> Khan, you know. You, you talk about <laughs> some of your favorite. There are two of my favorite musical numbers, and they aren't at the big Blues Brothers music and review. At the end, they are telling the story, getting the band back together. Mm-hmm. The first one that I love is Aretha Franklin. scene, where they're going to pick up two more yeah. members. Mm-hmm. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness.
2: Don't you be leaving me, boy. Get your back. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: she was telling him. You live with me now.
2: <laughs> not, not only was
1: she the vocalist, the singer of the song, and they picked a song that was her convincing him to think about what he's doing, mm-hmm. perfect fitting for the song, but made her, she's the girlfriend. She's integral to it. And right. the whole musical number. And magically, everybody kind of starts stepping in with the dances. The Blues Brothers yep. are part the of the background dance. singers were awesome. Background <laughs> yes. singers just
2: pop off with the perfect unison sitting at the counter. Three women yep. who apparently don't know each other because they're sitting at the lunch counter. Like a bill
0: worker. <laughs> and, yeah.
2: <laughs> and they start bringing this on.
0: I, I, might, I love the scene where really you see like the fry cook, so he takes off his hairnet, and he has this long hair, <laughs> and he starts getting fixed with a saxophone and starts playing a saxophone.
2: Yeah, he's a sax player. Yeah, that's Louis Marini. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about him because he's mm-hmm. a member of the band, but yeah, he's incredible. I think uh, her song Think, which was mm-hmm. in that scene, was beautiful, but people tend to overlook the musical number before that scene, which is incredible, even though they didn't give it a lot of airtime, and that's Johnny Lee Hooker. With his little group on the street out front of the diner. Oh, And they're right, singing, right. boom. Yes. Oh, that was oh, great, wasn't as it? As a blues person who, uh, I love that style of music, Johnny Lee Hooker was probably one of the two highlights for me. There was another one later on. But Johnny Lee Hooker's incredible. The musicality in that, like you're Ooh. saying, blowing away that's one of those scenes they could have easily
1: taken out but the point there was to establish hey we're in downtown Chicago the CD section Mm -hmm.
0: and look what's happening in the streets I'm so glad that was a part of it they couldn't have put him in a better setting for that song just Mm -hmm. hit him on the street singing right on the sidewalk I mean I thought that was just perfect
2: well and that whole setup you know I talked earlier about how I hated the seven and a half minutes worth of flyover bullshit at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. film (laughs) there was some establishing shots to this area in Chicago that made me feel like oh now I get it. They're trying to get me to understand how important this area is to this group of people Mm -hmm. and I really felt that as the people were moving in and out of the different you know street corner booths and people were you know let me buy this you know and all that kind of stuff that was happening in that scene I started to understand a little bit more that it was it wasn't just about let me try and get some really cool art nouveau shots it was about trying to say here's our city we love it and Mm -hmm. here's one of the really cool cool sections in this city.
0: Yeah, I think what John said earlier really makes a lot of sense that you know, the city itself is a character. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Fargo. Like I think so. North Dakota was yeah. like a, a character in Fargo. I think the city itself is definitely a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
2: I just didn't feel it in any part of the movie up until that point. Up until then. That's when it really hit. It certainly started to come to life there.
1: You're, you're not wrong there. That's when things really kicked up into another gear. Yeah. My favorite musical number, the Aretha Franklin is my second. My favorite by far is the appearance of Ray Charles <laughs> running... Ray's music (laughs) exchange. Yep the way he was integrated into that story was so great. We all know Ray Charles is blind. We know he's an amazing musician and piano player. And he somehow was aware of everything happening in his store. A little kid came in. Like he was going to steal a guitar. He <laughs> fires a gun a few times. Misses the guitar by inches. Kid, He says, get on out of here. Hate to see young people going bad. Wait, 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 okay. How did you know he was there? How did you know he was stealing stuff? How did you know it was a little kid? That's <laughs> and then the music number that followed it, where they're like, this piano's garbage. There's no action. Yeah, there's no action on it. Right. Shuts the gate. I don't believe there's
2: anything wrong with the action on this here keyboard. Sits down, and he just launches, and yeah. it's so good. It was, and I hate to poke another hole at you, but oh, why, why you is kidding? there a gate and a counter and an open fucking doorway right next to it with nothing on it that he just walked through? Because <laughs> he has a gun. He can shoot from safety behind the gate. <laughs> yeah, but, but people there you go. Can just... answer acid
0: answer. Let's move on. No, that's,
2: you're not going to ask it an answer just because you don't want to <laughs> poked at it that's not a hole anymore it, is, it was a fucking hole i
1: plugged that hole i figured there was a door he could shut and lock i figured he, it was just
2: open uh, yeah i know but why is there a cage that he had to roll up and but then why close shut down the gate in the first place if there's if the door's a door open. that's open it didn't make any yeah. sense. he did it for effect it's dramatic D- dramatic effect that's why
0: because this is ray charles come on <laughs> granted that's not
1: a good answer but that's the best answer that yeah, i have
0: that's the best we have sorry <laughs> my favorite musical number of the whole thing Mm -hmm. was cab calloway yes Mm -hmm. when he turns and he's in that white tux and it suddenly becomes everybody
2: is in white and they're in tuxedos and stuff yeah magically it's like a
0: flashback to the 30s harlem cotton club oh my god
2: yeah and cab calloway did a wonderful job with the role that he had in the film oh yeah as an actor i mean he was not just in there for a musical number like aretha franklin kind of was or ray charles kind of was he actually, his character informed the story several mm-hmm. times throughout the film. I mean, he's there at the orphanage when they first, you know, get yep. beat by the nun, and later on, he's what you got to do, and all. He's he's a great character, I thought. Yeah, he's obviously the influencer. Oh, yeah. right? He
1: had helped to raise the boys. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then when they were out trying to raise money for the orphanage, he rallied all the other orphans. He said. They grew up here just like you. Now, you got to get out there. You lazy kids, go out there and tell people about it. And he rallied all the kids to run around. And and then, I know it was a film, and I know they told these thousands of people in this auditorium to enjoy this mm-hmm. Cab Calloway song. Oh, but he has a commanding charisma yeah. and presence. Oh my God! Those audience members could not have had to act very hard because what a, <laughs> what a showman this guy! Oh yeah! This was my first introduction to him live, and I, I went back after I saw this back in
0: the '80s and sought out more Cab Calloway stuff. I had no idea what I was missing. Yeah, yeah. he he was incredible. It was cool how like because you see these two, you know, the Blues Brothers go to the orphanage, and first of all, yeah, I you know, love the name Sister Mary Stigmata. I mean, Stigmata, Stigmata, Stigmata yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. but anyway, after they fall. Down we see his character and he's dressed the way they're dressed, and then uh, and all of a sudden it makes sense like,
2: oh, oh this is who raised that's him. That's where they got it from because he raised him. Yeah.
0: fills in like all this backstory suddenly mm-hmm. becomes the yep. life. Just the fact that you see him there dressed like him. What did yep. you
2: think of the rapid cut though? Like you said, John, it was awesome when he spins and he's dressed all in white and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about the rapid cut back to the Blues Brothers outfit afterwards and the whole band is back to a regular band instead of being like that 1930s that Mo was talking about? no mm-hmm. oh, i felt that kind of disjointed you found it jarring yeah i would have liked him to stay in that maybe i'm not sure yeah i, I agree i see what you mean because i thought it was more like maybe in
0: his head that's what he was seeing that's exactly what i always envisioned sure. i pictured that from cab
1: calloway's point of view or whatever his character's yeah. name was right. in the film that this is a song that he knows that he has sung he's using it to just buy time mm, right? Right. and so when he turns around in his mind he's like Boom, I am a show band. We have the, the guys on risers and mm-hmm. the, the bead and glitter on the front of all the risers. I picture that's how he pictured his performance. Mm. And when they switched back to mm-hmm. how everybody really was, that was when he was
2: back in the real moment. I got you. and he realized yeah. the
1: Blues Brothers still weren't here. I didn't write it, but that's how I was interpreted. It. Like, that's, yeah, I could go with that. Yeah,
2: that explanation helps me to enjoy that. Because uh, at first I was like, oh, don't, don't cut off. <laughs> it <laughs> Where's was their cool. cool outfits. Yeah, yeah. Was, that, that
1: was pretty cool. Now, these were the big celebrity musical Mm -hmm. acts, but you mentioned before, George, that the actors, I'll use it air quotes, that were the band, they flipped that on its ear. They didn't find actors to play the band. No. They had their band, real awesome musicians playing these members of the band. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Incredible musicians. I mean, Donald Duck Dunn, first of all, incredible. I mean, Murphy. Mm. Willie Hall, Lou Marie. I mean, Jesus Christ, you can just go on and on. I mean, classics Blue of Lou, R&B, <laughs> blues, legends. And these are the guys who, it's not that they all had super exciting singles, solo careers or whatever, right? No, no, no. They were gig musicians on everything. But yeah. they were the core. Yeah. If Aretha Franklin needed to put together a studio band, these were the these type of guys that she put in there, right? Exactly. That's the type of guys. They're, they're right. playing on yeah. all the big songs and records of the day. And I found it endearing every
1: time one of those guys had to deliver a line, and they're clearly not an actor, Right. and it's not going well. They're doing their best, and you know they probably got coached over and over, but I loved seeing them like, I know these guys, they are the top of their game. Their game just isn't acting. Right. So I gave, every time I saw, I gave them a pass, because I'm like, yep. well you're here because you are the best sax player, the best keyboard player or whatever and you're trying to act but in a minute
2: you're going to shine and I know you are we're going to see it yeah I I thought Lou Marini delivered his hairnet reveal that Mo was talking about pretty well that was pretty damn (laughs) awesome he did (laughs) physical acting that's good stuff at the end of that whole Aretha Franklin number he's still sitting on the end of the counter after the song is over (laughs) yeah he's like you better go too," and he's like okay and he hops up and takes (laughs) off that was so cute and funny I thought
1: while we're at that moment in the film I have to go back to Aretha Franklin my favorite line maybe maybe my line of the whole movie is after all of that she tried to convince them she sang think backup singers everybody's gone shit (laughs) well i did the best i could he's gone damn it (laughs) oh and aretha sold that too and the 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 musical numbers that they put together i mean sweet home chicago that was at Mm. the at the Mm -hmm. in the uh, the auditorium uh jailhouse rock at the very end where you mentioned why are they all in jail but yeah do you know joe cocker was the first guy to jump up on and start dancing in jailhouse rock he was in the audience that was he was one of the guys just a little bit part yep nice and probably (laughs) the worst song they all performed together, but the one people
0: all remember... Yeah. Hit them up. Move them out. (laughs) Roll (laughs) high. This will be our 30-second rendition of (laughs) whatever it was. (laughs) They're looking for a gig.
2: They end up. What's the name of the place? Uh, Oh, it's called Bob's Country Bunker. Just whatever place they see. You're right. It's of the songs that the band performed. It's the worst. Not that they performed it the worst. It's the worst song of the quartet. But (laughs) they performed it well. I thought it was my favorite musical number that they did. It was a good rendition. I thought it was the first time that both Aykroyd and Belushi felt believable to me as singers in the movie. Mm. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel that they were believable until they did that song. Then I'm like, okay, now I'm on board for the rest of it. It was, you know, it
0: was awesome. Well, yeah, I like the fact that they go in there, they go on the stage and they're like, chicken wire? (laughs) (laughs) And when he picks up the whip at one point, it's just like random shots of him, like, whipping cigarettes out of people's mouths. and.
2: <laughs> it's good things a whip just happened to be there. Yeah. Well you need it for Rawhide. Right. That's a regular. <laughs> that was obviously a, a regular song performed at that bar.
1: <laughs> oh, you guys can learn it next time you come back. Oh yeah. okay.
2: <laughs> greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
0: Wanna catch that sucker. Excuse me. You see two guys coming here, black suit, black hat. Send them down there. Thank you. Give me some love. Give me
1: some love. Oh please, don't kill us. You know I love you, baby. Let's go. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at GenXGrownUp.com slash Patreon. Whether you loved or tolerated
2: this film, as some <laughs> of us did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call the dissenter out right away. Yeah. Well, was it you? I didn't
1: mean you. It could have been anyone, really. Yeah, yeah Any sure. of the three it of really us. Anybody. It could have been anybody except for me and John. <laughs> right. It's not me or Mo. Poking holes. <laughs> Whether you loved it or you just thought it was okay or you watched it, there's no denying that it was a seminal film of the 80s. It maintains its popularity to this day. It captures some of the greatest musicians of the time on film Mm -hmm. for people to go back and enjoy Mm -hmm. or discover, you know, as I did with Cab Calloway and that kind of thing. It has a lasting legacy, not just on us, but on society in general and other films and that kind of thing. There was a sequel in 1998 called The Blues Mm. Brothers 2000. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say about that film. Uh, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, it was 12 years before there was another
2: film that came out based on an SNL sketch. And that was Wayne's World. Really? Is it that long? Yeah, really. That was the next one. And then Wayne's World was so super popular and made so much money that they started just throwing going crazy. Saturday Night Live skits at the films, right? That's when
1: they started cranking. Then you got yeah. Night at the
2: Roxbury garbage stuff that kept coming. Yeah. yeah superstar, but- the girl who smells her armpits or what the hell ever that was about. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Coneheads.
1: Now, Coneheads was
2: good. I enjoyed Coneheads, but yeah. Fair.
1: Well, there were hits and misses, but it was thanks to success success of the Blues Brothers
2: Mm -hmm. that they started figuring out, oh, we could parlay these sketches into more, Mm -hmm. or they Mm -hmm. thought they could, right? (laughs) You know, other than the influences in films, which are prolific, uh, it it also had an influence in the real world. If I'm not mistaken, I think this movie was kind of the, the impetus of Dan Aykroyd starting those whole House of Blues bars or restaurants. I know there's one down in Orlando. Orlando oh, at Disney mm-hmm. Springs. Oh yeah.
0: Right. That makes perfect sense. So, yeah.
2: you know, and I think, I believe he performed there and, you know, that movie you said you didn't want to talk a lot about the Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> if I right. remember right, he and Goodman and maybe even uh, John Belushi's brother, Jim, I think they were all when mm-hmm. those things would open. It's kind of like the Planet Hollywood era. But not crappy, like Planet Hollywood. Actors and right. stuff were getting together to put restaurants and bars and, you know, yeah. tying them to intellectual properties. But it definitely wouldn't have happened had you not had this film.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's just a quick look up on uh, Wikipedia, our favorite place. And uh, apparently it's co-founded by the guy who co-founded the Hard Rock Cafe Mm. and Dan Aykroyd. And Dan Aykroyd, yeah. And Dan Aykroyd, Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: Well,
1: he had that existing love of blues. And if you've been to one, the Blues Brothers' attitude, that rhythm and blues kind of gritty, that permeates these places. You know, we have a good friend that listens to the show, a friend of mine. He's a musician, and he periodically plays at the House of Blues. Wow. And it's it's one of its highlights when he gets to go and do that, when his band will play Mm. there. Uh, He loves it because he's also a huge fan of the Blues Brothers. And, and one big impact of the Blues Brothers that is often overlooked is if ever you had two friends and one was fat and one was skinny, they had a pre-built, not Laurel and Hardy Halloween costume that they did. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Just get a couple black suits yeah sunglasses and off you go right that, yeah that's right it was super that's easy It's one of the
2: simplest and best cosplays to do I would think
1: yeah it is right and if you want to really go all out then the skinny guy needs to ch- handcuff a briefcase to his mm-hmm. hand right that's really yeah. you want to go all out <laughs> you know for me personally the Blues Brothers was one of the first VHS tapes I ever owned not the extended version but the, you know the theatrical really, release. Yeah. there's not a VHS tape big enough to hold that version <laughs> 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 you, you know you're right not, not on SP there's not and I'm gonna talk to first one we had, like me, like when I moved out on my own and I started going through the bargain bin, like I had three tapes and one of them was this film and it was the one you put rotation all the time. Mm, right. And not only was it a good film for me, but it became a big part of nothing else to watch. I don't have there's no
0: Netflix. I can't go to the rental. And so it was one. That's another reason that it has, you know, a special place in my heart especially. Oh, yeah. For me, it's I remember seeing this in a the theater in 80 because I was staying with some relatives that summer in Denver when it came out. So we all went to go see it. And of course, we all could not stop talking about it. But for me afterwards, even it's always been like one of those movies is it's a great movie to put in when you're also doing something else i don't mean that in a bad way because yeah, once like, you've seen it mm-hmm. yeah once you've seen it and say you're like pleading you throw that one in there and all of a sudden oh oh here's a song and you'll stop you can yeah. watch that right song. <laughs> you know watch those or watch those moments that you know are coming up it was just a great background movie just to always have on because it's always something entertaining in it
2: mm-hmm. yeah i think that i'm very sad that i didn't get to see this film in the theater when it first came out like you two did and i think that's why i mm-hmm. don't hold it in the same esteem and regard that you two did. I mean, it was a film of a different era. It was a product of a different era but there are some influences that it's had in films that I do love or that I do enjoy. The first one that I can think of John, that chicken wire scene at the country mm-hmm. and Western bar, right? So they, oh do, yeah, chicken wire. What's this doing up here? And then oh, yeah. later on, you <laughs> see all the Cowboys throwing beer bottles. Bottle at. Smash. Yeah. <laughs> so that's directly referenced in a Patrick Swayze film called roadhouse. The first oh, yeah. time roadhouse. he shows up at the bar that he's going to help make over, one of his friends is there as the leader of the band they're encased in chicken wire and all the bad guys are throwing beer bottles at him and it <laughs> really? cuts him and all this stuff and it's because <laughs> it's like this dive bar that's horrible mm-hmm. and everything and later on they take the chicken wire out when they revamp it remodel the place but I loved that scene and I didn't recognize that it had influences back from that until I watched this movie so you saw it in reverse yes I saw it in reverse you never
1: knew about the chicken wire scene in the Blues Brothers until just recently <laughs> right oh that's <laughs> exactly that's funny right that's like hearing Lola after you heard Yoda from Weird Al it's like <laughs>
0: oh now I know what the original was exactly <laughs> you can't unhear the first one but that's okay
2: no no the other one was done in the exact same manner there's the scene in blues brothers where the nun is just beating the crap out of him with the ruler and she (laughs) breaks it and she pulls out the other (laughs) so there's a movie called hangover 2 uh Mm -hmm. you guys i know have seen the first hangover movie in the second one they have this character who's a monk that's vowed silence right so they end up taking him back to his monastery and when they bring him back the three different guys from the hangover are trying to ask questions well it's a monastery everybody's supposed to be really silent there and this one monk every time they say a word because they're speaking he just whips them with this big like (laughs) like staff thing that he has he just beats the shit out of and they recognize the same way that uh dan aykroyd's character said oh it's because we're cussing in hangover it's like it's because we're talking stop talking oh my god this still hurts (laughs) so it's that same kind of scene and it's delivered that way i i'm sure that somebody somewhere had been a fan of the blue brothers when those two scenes were written mm-hmm. yeah and again you didn't make the reference until now mm-hmm. having seen the original finally yeah okay yeah that's a
1: great scene too or <laughs> they're like shit smack oh Jesus Christ smack yeah. <laughs> it just <laughs> keeps <laughs> going <laughs> back
0: <and> <laughs>
1: <forth>. <laughs> <laughs> one big lasting impact for me that you know I is we didn't talk at all about early in the film was trying to escape the cops after the squad scene and everything mm-hmm. you went out of this parking lot I'll get you out of this parking lot and they go <laughs> right through the mall. Mm-hmm. And the whole way through, they are so unaffected by the fact they're driving in a mall. Oh, Pier 1 Imports. Oh, right. this. Oh, well, <laughs> nice. oh, oh, the new whatever's are in, the new automobiles yeah. are in, right? They're talking. And there's one line that I quote so many times that people don't get it. That's because they don't know the Blues Brothers, where they're like, this place has got everything. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not a time that I have walked in a mall and not either said or thought that line when I go, oh, they have a GameStop and they have a Sears. This place has got everything, <laughs> and I might say it, and people don't get it. But it's it. All I can imagine is cars racing through. That was actually a shutdown mall. They got in mm-hmm. trouble because they didn't restore it to its original condition that they never
0: agreed to. They didn't have to pay right. like thousands of dollars in damages, apparently. And it wound up getting torn down eventually anyway. So
1: it did. It did. Yeah. They tore it <laughs> down anyhow. Oh, so much great stuff in the Blues Brothers. Before we wrap up this look back at this decades old Gen X classic, let's do a round robin here. I want to ask each of you, what is your favorite thing from the film? Could be a quote or a scene or a line or a musical <laughs> act or whatever that oh, is. Oh, uh, let's start with you, Mo.
0: Favorite okay. thing
1: from the Blues Brothers? Can you pick?
0: So I'm gonna pull a George here for a second because I have a favorite <laughs> moment and I have a favorite line. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. So my favorite moment though is when they go to see the the penguin because ah, the right. fact that the doors open by themselves. Yeah. Before was they cute. knock, she's like, who's there? And then after Creepy. she beats him and she's at the top of the stairs, she kind of floats back right. and the door
2: slams. <laughs> like, she's possessed. It's a Catholic <laughs> yeah, exactly. nun, and it's like she's possessed.
0: <laughs> right. And the fact that everybody else is so non-pulse about it. Everyone else is like, oh, like the fact that the doors open by themselves, they're just kind of just that's taking the way it. it is. It is. Yeah, there's
2: just that one little scene where Ackroyd kind of, as the first entrance door yeah. closes, and they're at the top of the stairs, and he just kind of looks back at it and then looks at John Belushi, <laughs> and then they look toward the camera. Just <laughs> yeah. That's the only... That's the like only acknowledgement real, yeah. that they do.
0: But my favorite line, and this is like definitely a, I think it's a John Landis kind of Kentucky Fried movie kind of moment for me, is when hmm. they, the big chase scene at the end, all the cars, all the cop cars, mm-hmm. everything's hitting me after him. And then you hear the one announcer says, the use of excessive force and the apprehension of the Blues Brothers has been approved. Has been approved.
1: Excessive force has been approved. Yes, Not just force. Has been approved.
0: <laughs> and and they take it to approved. heart. <laughs> so that's my favorite line. So those are my favorite moments. Okay. Uh,
1: Mine I mentioned earlier, and I'm just going to recap. It's got to be across the board, the entire scene that takes place with Ray Charles at Ray's Music Exchange. Mm -hmm. From the way the band members interact, from the Shake Your Tail Feathers uh, musical number that they put together, everybody in the street dancing, all just generic folks they brought in to dance on the street, all of that, that whole scene. More than anything else in the film. I know I said Aretha Franklin going shit was awesome. But as a cohesive awesome. part, Ray's Music Exchange is probably the part I'll go back. You said if you're playing in the background, that's when I'll come in the room and sit right. down and watch from beginning to end. My favorite part. Mm. George, how about you? It's still fresh for
2: you. Have <laughs> you yeah. seen it just recently? Yeah. Huh? It's a fresh wound. I mean, we know what
0: your least favorite part was.
2: Um, (laughs) Now, I would say that and I wish that it hadn't been chopped because it was kind of cut in the middle as other things had to happen. Mm -hmm. But Johnny Lee Hooker, boom, boom. That's my Mm -hmm. favorite Mm -hmm. part of the film. Mm -hmm. I would go with Cab Calloway. That's awesome. But that's kind Mm -hmm. of a no brainer. Everybody's going to love that scene. So (laughs) if I want to pick something that's uniquely mine, because I love Johnny Lee Hooker. Yeah, that's going to be my favorite part of the film. Yeah,
0: I don't blame you, man.
2: Well, it goes to show you, like as you said, you don't hate the film. Mm-hmm. You didn't enjoy it as
1: a film. Right. There are a lot of extenuating circumstances. It could be because it's a comedy musical. You'd expect that. It could be you didn't see it at the right time. It could be that you have horrible taste in movies. Any number wow. of reasons wow. it could, be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> could have been the
2: <laughs> mitigating circumstances for you. But there oh, were parts that you enjoyed oh, at least. So, <laughs> and the podcast becomes a duo. <laughs> there we go.
1: <laughs> now, which duo is it? Me and Moe? Because you left? Oh yeah. You and me, people want to hear us yell (laughs) at each other. Okay. All right. (laughs) I think that is a great place to wind up this look back at the Blues Brothers, a fantastic, well, some of us think fantastic, Gen X era film. (laughs) We will be back in two weeks with another backtrack, but next week with a regular edition of our show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Oh, man, always fun. And fourth listener, it's you. We all appreciate most of all, and we will talk to
0: you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen
1: X grown-up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at Evergreenpodcasts.com.
2: Unacceptable for grown-ups. Your dinner be Basically, life sucks as a
0: grown-up
1: Jim Belushi. Oh, John what is his name? John Belushi. John Belushi is the one who's dead. Jim
2: Belushi is <laughs> still alive Jim once again. Still alive. <laughs> Might as well be dead. <laughs> oh, <geez>. Wow. <laughs>
1: I didn't mean it. I just
2: wish death upon somebody. Why
1: don't you go? Wow. I just meant his career is dead. Not, not the man. That's all I'm saying.
0: Still harsh. My name is Cindy Burnett. And each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast thoughts from a page. We talk spoiler free about their books. So you can listen, whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.